Wake up, Jesus. I imagine the disciples in the boat probably deliberated whether or not to wake him up. After all, Jesus was clearly exhausted. We don't read about him sleeping too often. And why would they really need to wake him up? Jesus is a teacher, maybe also a carpenter by trade. And though it was his idea to get into the boat and sail across to the other side of the sea, it's probably safe to assume that many of his disciples, which were fishermen by trade, should know how to weather a storm at sea, at least better than Jesus would. So listen, it's probably safe to assume that by the time they agreed to go down and wake up Jesus, they were firmly convinced that the storm was beyond anyone's control. So when they wake him up saying, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? We can conclude that they're probably in a state of panic. Perhaps they're also hoping beyond the, the faintest of all hopes that the healing powers of Jesus, which they had witnessed, could also extend to the swirling waters of chaos, threatening to capsize their boat. Just one word from the maker And all the waves will be made still Just one touch from the healer And all will be made well Why is Jesus so upset with the disciples? He says to them, Do you still have no faith? He had just preached about the effectiveness of, of mustard seed-sized faith. And it seems to me that the disciples are in the boat and are acting on that faith, waking Jesus in a last-ditch effort to survive certain doom. Isn't that what their scriptures had taught them? Cry out to God in your time of distress. God draws near to the afflicted. God hears the cry of the righteous and is mighty to save. Why is Jesus so stern? so reluctant and so critical of their faith. Wake up, Jesus. Jesus, when you gonna wake up? When you gonna wake up and calm this raging sea?
storms, especially storms at sea, have to be one of the longest standing metaphors in human history. I was tempted to take some time in this sermon to explain how the image of a storm is such a powerful symbol in ancient times. But then I thought about it and I realized that storms are still one of the most potent metaphors we have for moments of complete disruption, chaos, and lack of control. The times we feel inundated, overwhelmed, out of control, lost. Sometimes the only suitable image is of a boat being tossed violently off course, about to be capsized or dashed against the rocks. See, friends, we are invited into this story. The forces of chaos that fill you with fear and grief and confusion and doubt, these are echoes of the winds and the waves in this story, tossing the boat and carrying these disciples. So see if you can imagine for a moment yourself in that boat, being pummeled by the strong winds and the waves of your own chaos. As I picture myself bailing water and trying to find secure footing, the accusation that comes from Jesus' disciples to their sleeping leader is something I've heard myself say in some form or another more than a few times. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Jesus, why are you sleeping? Why are you sleeping through our pain? Why don't you wake up and relieve me? Why don't you heal our loved ones? Why don't you show me what I should do? Why don't you prevent all this needless suffering? Do you not see me? Do you not care? Wake up, Jesus. This past Thursday, I went to Trenton to participate in a press conference led by a coalition called Abolish the Drug War, New Jersey. Some of you know that in 1971, President Richard Nixon called for a war on drugs, which, which attached huge criminal penalties to the acts of using, selling, or manufacturing certain drugs. Years later, some of Nixon's closest advisors came clean about the real purpose of the war on drugs, which was explicitly to them to crack down on some of Nixon's strongest public opponents, which were black communities black and Hispanic political groups and their leaders, and anti-war protesters. It was an effective strategy on those terms because what we know now as mass incarceration stemmed from that. But though the war on drugs was authored by President Nixon against, again, for, for racial and political reasons, the real impact of the war on drugs is, is due to the recommitment over and over by every single president and every single state government since 1971 to continue and advance the war on drugs. 
Thursday's press conference, which was June 17th, two days before Juneteenth, and was part of a week-long advocacy effort leading up to Juneteenth, which, if you, don't, if you didn't know, is, is a commemoration of good news delayed that slavery was abolished. But June 17th has another reason, because it marked exactly 50 years of a drug war, exactly 50 years since Nixon declared the drug war that's targeted and decimated black, poor, and immigrant communities. So even though research shows us that white people in middle, middle to upper class communities are just as likely, if not more likely, to use every single type of illegal drug, it's primarily in urban black communities that the selective and brutal law enforcement of drug policies have resulted in no-knock drug raids. Breonna Taylor. Lethal interactions with police. George Floyd. And, and less well-known but far more common daily outcomes that tear families apart through foster care or incarceration. Policies that usually lead to high rates of overdose. Policies that continue to punish people long after their sentences or treatments or recovery. And at this event, I heard the story of a man from Newark who has three children, a wife, and comfortable housing, and a job, and yet he also suffers from opioid use disorder. He wants desperately to go to treatment and get fully clean for the sake of his family and, and for the sake of his life, and he wants to get clean of his, his chaotic drug use, but he knows that the punitive laws here in New Jersey could and probably would result in him losing his job and losing his housing and losing his family. You see, New Jersey's set of drug laws, according to a recent report, is, quote, an exemplar of everything that can go wrong in the war on drugs. Our drug policies are, you might say, a perfect storm of unjust, harmful, and racist laws. Here are just a handful of, 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 of facts about our state. Our state has the highest black to white criminal sentencing disparity in the entire nation, in part because police are trained specifically on how to turn casual interactions or minor altercations into drug searches and arrests. Over two million New Jerseyans will use an illegal drug not prescribed, not prescribed to them in their lifetime, two million. And over half a million will just during this past year. And while only a fraction of drug users develop substance abuse disorders, the vast majority of users do not openly admit or pursue treatment because the punitive laws stigmatize them and, and put them at risk. And so therefore, they are at heightened risk of death from drug overdose or unsafe methods or, or, or unsafe supplies, 20,000 New Jerseyans, this number hurts, 20,000 New Jerseyans, including several of our beloved church members, have died in the past 10 years from drug overdoses. 20,000. Friends, our state has spent nearly $12 billion 
in the past 10 years, 12 billion, that's over a billion a year, on arresting, prosecuting, and imprisoning people for drug-related crimes. That's eight and a half times more money than we allocate for addiction and recovery services. It's 28 times more money than we designate for rental assistance, homelessness shelters, homelessness prevention, and lead abatement combined. And that's not even mentioning the impact of the war on drugs on immigration and child welfare and employment and housing and education. We could dive into each of these important systems and you would see the wreckage of the war on drugs. And just as an aside, I commend to you all a brand new report that came out this week from New Jersey Policy Perspective about New Jersey and the deadly drug war here. But friends, I'm bringing up the, the war on drugs this morning, and it might have felt like whiplash, but I'm bringing it up because it's a perfect example of a massive storm. It's ruthless. It's untamable and unrelenting. There's so much power behind it. It carelessly disregards all boats and life forms and leaves, leaves in its wake just death and wreckage. The way out of this storm is so hard to see, and I, it's even harder to navigate. Where do we go? But on Thursday, something happened in my heart and soul. It was an event calling for the end of the war on drugs and committing to dreaming and working for a different New Jersey. And it, as I listened to some of the gut-wrenching testimonies of trauma that people have endured, and even the righteous indignation that drove people to stand courageously, holding signs and shouting into microphones, three of our own interns were there holding signs. In fact, you can, I think you can see some of, I think you can see them on the right there. And as I listened, I felt something stir inside of me, deep in my gut, from the core of my soul. You might even say from the stern of my boat, something awoke in me, or maybe someone awoke in me. I was suddenly awake to the community of people gathered, not just joined together in lament or grief, but in power and in healing. One woman spoke, uh, who spoke said it this way, we come together not as victims, but as people who are victorious. And she was right. I looked around and saw not a single person cowering in fear, except maybe a few legislators that were trying to eke past to get into the state house. I saw people unmasked, unafraid, holding signs about their pride in surviving 50 years of a racist drug war. I saw representatives from Newark Community Street Team leading healing modalities with self-care and self-calming strategies. I spoke with a pastor who wants to start a program called Jubilee, in which festivals with, which, with holistic health care and wellness services pop up in communities most harmed by the drug war, free of charge. I saw people distribu uh, distributing food and water and harm reduction resources to people, practicing a new human-centered way to treat people who use drugs. In other words, I saw people standing together in faith, joined together to uplift and protect their communities from a 50-year storm 
that still rages. And the Jesus in them woke up the Jesus in me. And not just me, but within 30 minutes of the conclusion of the press conference, the, the interns can attest to this, Governor Murphy had already gone on record in the public to say that he is, quote, open-minded about ending the drug war in New Jersey. And that's a start. It sounds like the Jesus in Governor Murphy is at least stirring. Friends, I think the reason Jesus is upset with the disciples and their lack of faith is not because they couldn't calm the storms themselves. And it's not because they were afraid. And it's not because they woke him up. I think maybe Jesus was disappointed they hadn't woken him up sooner. They waited and waited and tried to push back the panic and wrung their hands and hung their heads in despair. And so by the time they finally roused their teacher, they had lost all faith that Jesus even cared. But here's the good news, friends. Jesus does, in fact, care. God, through Christ, wants to be awake and alive and active in calming even the most sinister and violent storms. But God also allows us to decide how we want to manage our boats. At no point is Christ promising us permanent safe passage, a storm-free life. Instead, Christ is offering us an abundance of courage and skills for resilience and navigational tactics. Maybe the war on drugs isn't the storm most imminent in your life. And if so, I hope that you just sort of listen to the first and last piece of this sermon. Maybe your storm is the strain of surviving each day. Maybe your storm is, is in the wave after wave of unending expectations coming from outside and coming from inside of yourself. Maybe you have expectations about parenting, work, relationship struggles, self-doubt. Maybe you've just survived, maybe you've just survived a storm, but you fear that the dark clouds will return, if not soon, someday. So friends, whatever your storm, or whatever storm we go through as a community, maybe our first and best response is to wake up Jesus right away. Maybe we need to ground ourselves in the old, old story of God's redeeming love. What if we connect ourselves regularly to God through prayer and worship and work? What if, what if we do it not in our own separate boats? What if we sing together, tying our boats to one another? What if we garden together? What if we cry together or go out dancing? Or, or teach one another resilience strategies, or join in movements for, polit for po political and policy change. We don't have to ask what if, friends, because these are all things that are happening right now, right here. Jesus is waking up and in is indeed already awake in so many ways in this place. Because Jesus is awake in you, I've seen it. 
Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen.